You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. ABC Tonight. Special Agent Will Trent. Judge Bureau Investigation. I told him I'd bring my best. Will sees things that no one else does. Based on the New York Times bestselling series. But why Will Trent? He's good police and he's objectively hot. See crime. Put out an Amber Alert. There's a kidnapping. Through his eyes. He read that crime scene like it was a book. Ramon Rodriguez is. I'm a pretty observant guy. Will Trent. Series premiere tonight, tonight central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Cuidado, es más que una palabra. Ha sido el corazón de nuestra misión por más de 25 años. Hoy, servimos a más de 2.3 millones de miembros y cuidamos atentamente a comunidades a lo largo del estado de Nueva York. Esto es Fidelis Care. Si necesita seguro médico, Fidelis Care puede ayudarle. Llame al 1-888-FIDELIS, TTY 711 o visite fideliscare.org. Hey, welcome to Fan Theory Queries, where we analyze fan theories from all over the internet, but mostly Reddit. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. And because this episode releases on May the 4th, which is internationally known as Star Wars Day, we've chosen some intriguing Star Wars fan theories to discuss and analyze their plausibility. Let's um, begin with you, Laura. Great. Okay. So the theory that I chose is why did Leia not hug Chewbacca in The Force Awakens? And this comes from user Cyborg Commando Zero. I was encouraged to post this here, but full disclosure, this is not originally my idea. Someone else came up with it. Thank you for your candor, Cyborg Commando. So... In The Force Awakens, after Han Solo's death, they return to the Resistance base, and Chewbacca walks right past Leia, and she ignores him and goes right up to the new girl, Rey. And later, we see Chewbacca all alone and grieving. Understandably, this upset many fans. It made me at least a little curious, personally. And here's what happened. Chewbacca lost his best friend. And after leaving the Starkiller base, started observing a Wookiee morning ritual. This morning ritual basically says that a Wookiee shouldn't touch another being until they have been able to grieve properly and privately. So that's why Leia didn't attempt to touch Chewbacca. She knew Han was dead, and she also is familiar enough with Chewbacca and some of his customs and rituals to allow Chewbacca to his space to grieve in his own way, the Wookiee way. So. There is an objection that Chewbacca carried Finn into the Millennium Falcon and touched uh, touched her, showing he was not observing the morning ritual. Touched her, I think, meaning touched him is what the user probably meant. Um, but the rebuttal is that I'm sure saving Finn's life was well within tolerance. No point turning mourning for into three or four people if your <laughs> actions can prevent it. So yeah, that's what Cyborg Commando wrote about this. It's a little short one, but it is something that was quite noticeable in Force Awakens. Did you guys pay attention to that at all when we watched that movie? Oh yeah, I noticed it right off the bat. For those that that do know me, everybody knows that I'm a huge Star Wars nerd first and foremost. So, I I know a little bit of the lore behind a lot of this stuff, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert per se. But I I do think that I would have to go along with the whole Wookiee ritual thing, and I think that the explanation for him saving Finn is that in their ritual, 
the only exception that they can have to touching someone is if it's a life or death situation and they are saving somebody. So, yeah, I think that's that's probably what it was in my opinion. Um, I didn't notice it. <laughs> I I don't pick up on those kinds of things. I and it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Um, it makes sense. I don't know anything about Wookiee rituals, but I feel like that's kind of based in reality. Like, are there other religions or worldviews that that might be based in? Does, am I making that up? No, I think you're familiar? right. And and I think that's something yeah. that I remember reading about that somebody else wrote, but I totally ascribed to this idea. I believe it's a particular part of Judaism, possibly Hasidic Judaism. I'm not quite sure, so don't quote me on this, but it's the same kind of principle of their mourning is a very private process and very singular. But if there's a moment of like, if if somebody is like Finn was close to dying, that that's the exception that you can break through that to go and you need to show concern for this other life at the moment. Yeah, I could see there being other reasons though like maybe it was just oh you not mean, scripted for him to do that okay you mean other reasons why leia might have might have shunned him okay so it's funny you say that so there are a couple of extra commenters on this post from reddit one of them is oh no i don't know if i can say this on nom 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 om nom 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 <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Maybe I should stop. Oh, nom, nom, nom. Okay. Yep. It could just that's, be. That's it. Okay. That's it. It could just be that Leia hates Chewbacca and his family for having to participate in their <laughs> stupid holiday. I mean, <sighs> when you go through something like that, you're going to harbor some hate. For, mm-hmm. for, for any of the time. for any of the uninitiated, this is referring to the Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars holiday special from when was that? 76? Maybe uh, no, no, because I know Hope came out in '77. Oh, okay, okay. Well, it was just I'm trying to remember. It was a straight to TV thing. It focused on. I think it was '79, maybe. Okay, it focused on the Wookies and their holiday, and it just it wasn't very well received. It was rather bizarre. So that's ah nom nom noms. <laughs> <laughs> theory good boy alex wrote that jj abrams admitted that it was just a mistake and an oversight like you said spencer in the script that they just totally forgot about it which is something i kind of think is really nice and beautiful and a good thing about the star wars fandom we've heard of so many ugly things coming out of the star wars fandom this is something nice that they're able to go and fill in that hole that was unintentionally left when the script was written So I looked it up, and the Star Wars Holiday Special was released on November 17th of 1978. Ah, we were dancing around it. Yes, we were so close. Yes. Yes, so far. But if that's true from what J.J. Abrams says, that's I mean, it's kind of disappointing considering J.J. Abrams is supposed to be good. Especially as much— I mean, he made Lost after all. As as thoughtful, exactly. (laughs) Coming off of something like Lost and how thoughtful he had to be— how, I have my own theories about Lost. <laughs> hey, we've got some Lost theories to talk about eventually. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, moving on. So then user Kinnison said, I believe there's a simpler explanation. Chewie couldn't bring himself to look Leia in the eyes because he blamed himself for not protecting Han. And, oh yeah, shooting her son in the stomach and leaving him to die on a planet that was about to explode. <laughs> yeah. I like that one. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. 
That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the one that I really like. This is from C3PP. <laughs> um, I agree with the posters and that it's that Leia hates Chewbacca. So that's why she oh, wouldn't even. Simple enough. Yeah. And here's the direct evidence. Lack of metal. She did not present Chewbacca with a metal like she did the other. Like this theory says, no hug in The Force Awakens. Someone get this walking carpet out of my way. So that's a direct quote. Also, I just as soon kiss a Wookiee. So like, mm-hmm. those kinds of things literally says only two words to Chewbacca through four movies, both while Chewy, <laughs> both while Chewie is choking Lando. That's the only time <laughs> apparently that at least this user sees that Leia actually speaks to Chewbacca. <laughs> so yeah. Um, also, let's see circumstantial evidence. General Tarkin, I recognized your foul stench, so she hates, she equally hates smelly things, okay, (laughs) and says, I happen to like nice men, which is fine, not everyone has to like Wookiees, so, I don't, yeah, that's very circumstantial, so then my buster sword says, second theory, he smells. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, yeah, if you're I mean, upset, I mean, who wants to stick their face in a big old st- stanky something? So, <laughs> yeah, Not I like mean. to think that Wookiees just smell like wet dogs all the time. I mean, yeah, I would imagine so. That sounds accurate. Yeah. Yeah, I would stay away from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Not something that I want to embrace. Is there anything else you guys want to discuss about this theory of why Leia didn't hug Chewbacca in The Force Awakens? I think we've got some good ideas. I don't yeah. have anything to add. It seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, I I will add just a little bit to that one comment that uh, I don't remember who, who it was that had it, but basically that she just hates Wookiees because of like no metal, all that stuff. I think it's plausible that she just because of the way she was raised as royalty mm, mm-hmm. that she kind of automatically looked down on those that are certain species, like alien species that they thought was less than maybe. And Cause I feel, maybe. I've, I I don't know that but she liked the, the little forest people. Ewoks. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. She party with them. Oh, Ewoks are something yeah, different. That was another fan theory. I kind of <laughs> wanted to go for, but I didn't. Yeah, but, uh, we'll save that for another time. Yes, the next May the 4th. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, so... Yeah, that's it. Okay, well then, how about we rate it? Michael, could you explain the rating scale for us, please? Yeah, so this is how our rating scale goes. Um, the highest thing that we have is genius, and this is reserved only for the best theories, which we believe are better than like the actual canon. Uh, the next step down is plausible, it's a good theory that's believable. That's it's pretty simple. Unlikely and not a terrible theory, but it's still pretty unlikely. And then the last thing is preposterous. These are theories that are just stupid. Basically, we're all dumber for having listened to them. <laughs> Simple as that. Very all right. Okay, well, then I guess I'll start it off here. And I'm going to say this is plausible. There are just so many different ways to view this of it either being that she doesn't like him or she's trying to honor his Wookiee tradition. So it's it's definitely plausible. I think it could fit, especially knowing that it was actually just an oversight by the 
screenwriters. So being able to fill in that gap is nice. And with with a nice, a nice little story, with a nice little story like that, it's kind of nice. So I'll go with plausible. Spencer? Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I guess I would say plausible. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's unlikely, but I wouldn't say it's genius. So I guess still that, that leaves me with plausible. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with you guys. Uh, it's like you said, it's a good theory. When it comes down to it, it literally was just a mistake by JJ. I mean, he's admitted that in multiple interviews, but I like to think that the fandom is so creative that we've kind of created this scenario to fill in the gap that was left by reality. So plausible. Cool. All right. Now that we've got those rankings down pat, let's hear what you have to say, Michael. What's your theory to share? Mine comes from a website, actually, Ranker.com. Not Rancor for the Star Wars fans out there. Mm. It's Ranker. R-A-N-K-E-R. <laughs> clarifying. So the theory is that Chewbacca and R2-D2 are spies. So they say Han Solo was a loner who had to be cajoled into joining the rebel cause, but his furry co-pilot Chewbacca may be a different story. After all, it is Chewbacca who Obi-Wan first approaches in the cantina when seeking a ride to Alderaan. Chewbacca is also seen fighting alongside Yoda in Revenge of the Sith, and there's a good chance that he was actually an agent of the rebellion all along, unbeknownst to Han. This theory has been kicking around the internet for years, and people just love that Wookiee. But it's easy <laughs> except for Leia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, except for Leia. But it's even easier to believe, and perhaps maybe more plausible, that R two D two was a secret agent as well. The droid conveniently happens to be around for everything of importance, and Leia entrusts him with an incredibly precious mission. Also, R two seems like aggressively upgraded for an astromech droid. You don't need that kind of hardware if you're basically a glorified GPS. So that's what the theory is. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I'm going to start by saying like, I, I also love this theory. I think it's brilliant. And it's, I mean, it's very likely that it's true, you know, because they, it makes some valid points. You, we see Chewbacca fighting with Yoda in one of the prequel movies. And he was fighting on the side of the rebellion with the clone troopers before they turned. And so he also helps Yoda escape in his little escape pod. So, I mean, it, it seems like Chewbacca already had a relationship with Yoda, so he probably did some missions with him on the side at some point. I don't know if that's ever been proven anywhere, but I would like to think he has. And then, yeah, just the way that Chewbacca handles everything throughout the entire saga, he just seems like he's a trained agent. And plus, it's just cool to mm. think that he is. But then R2, yeah, like... I, fig- I thought everybody thought that R2 was already a secret agent. Like, he- he's literally there for everything. And he's, the- out of the two droids, the two main droids, he's the one that doesn't have his memory wiped. So mm-hmm. he has all this knowledge of everything that's happened throughout the entire saga as it's happening. And it's it just makes sense. Like, he's very, uh, very easy to overlook. And in-, in the Star Wars universe, droids tend to just be overlooked in general. But he's just an unsuspecting astromech droid. Like, no one would suspect that he, like they say, is packing all the hardware that he is. He's got the oil slick and the rocket boosters and all the other gadgets that he's got. He's basically the droid MacGyver, you know. Or James Bond. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Well, he even has, like, a taser thing on him, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I mean, he's an, I I see him as a not-so-secret agent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
so if we say they're spies, like, who are they spying for the rebellion? Yes, that's Agents what I assume of... that they're that they're meaning there is is they're spies for the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the in I think what you're thinking about Spencer is like so how are they spies if they're mm-hmm. always with the rebellion? And I think it's because right. people wouldn't suspect that they would be uh, very knowledgeable about what's going on, so they would feel free to kind of let loose with information. Let their guard down, maybe. Yes. Yeah. I see it more as like agents for the CIA, but not undercover agents. Like they they people know like there are some agents that go and do missions and people know they're CIA. Like they announce themselves mm-hmm. as CIA, but they're still able to do all this secretive stuff while they're on these missions. However, there are agents that are specifically undercover agents that they go in and assume an alias and become somebody else and uh, work on the side of the enemy. So I don't think that they're that kind. I think they're the former of those two. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think, and I agree with the author of the post about it's more, I think it's even more plausible for R2 right. than, than Chewbacca. I mean, I suppose with Chewbacca, um, but I mean, are the Wookiees, I mean, I don't know. I think there's something I don't know enough about the Wookiee race. Whereas with R2 being a programmable droid, most definitely, yes. I yeah. 100% like, okay, sure. I totally, I, I trust this without even having to question anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Spencer? I, I, I like the thought of him having all these little fun little gadgets like James Bond. And he is around more all kinds of crazy things, all the important things. He's involved. He, like it says, he is entrusted with a very important mission. You compare him to essentially any other droid that should serve the same pur- serve the same purpose as him. He clearly is much more involved. So, I mean, I think there's some weight to it. Yeah. I feel like there's a rating system in itself of R2 as far as like level of spy that he is. If you if you saw it as there's James Bond and there's Data from the Goonies. <laughs> was it Data? No, what was his name? Oh, what was it he? Is Data, isn't it? Is it? I, it, I, I think it might have been Data. Who's the and fact then, checker? I'll look it up right now. In the okay. middle is R2. Yeah, yeah, it's data. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially when, when you said oil slick, mm-hmm. my mind immediately <laughs> went to data. So I see it as James Bond, data in the middle, maybe closer up, maybe above half between is R2. Closer yeah, to James Bond. He's not he's not a hundred percent like the cool spy, as we saw in like Revenge of the he, Sith, whenever he's going after he's those super battle enough. droids. Yeah. He's he not doesn't get the enough. ladies. Yeah. <laughs> or does he look oh. at Leia? They're best friends. That's, That's true. true. And and then Padme before that. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. I guess cool. we're I ready to we've... rate. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. I am going to say this is genius just because I love the idea of maybe Chewie and R2 being spies together on the side, like a 
buddy cop type thing. <laughs> <laughs> like the adventures of Chewie and R2. I really want to see that series. So I'm going to say this is genius and I'm going to replace this as the actual canon in my own head. Yes. Okay. That was a whole new element of the discussion, Michael, that you brought in just on your rating <laughs> of them working together and being yep. partners. Holy <laughs> moly. That would be incredible. Yep. So, I mean, I'm still going to have to go with a plausible just on Chewbacca more so than R2. R2, mm-hmm. I would think, yes, genius level. This is this has to be canon. Uh, Chewbacca, I'm a little iffy on that one. So I'm going to say pl- I'll just give it an overall plausible. But, oh, man, you brought in a whole new element mm-hmm. <laughs> right then, Michael. What a great idea. Yeah, thank you. Yep, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to say plausible as well. Everything lends to this being a possibility. But as far as it being genius and like blowing my mind, not quite there. Cool. All right, is it my turn? Yes, it is, Spencer. Okay, now everybody strap in for this one. <laughs> right, this one's a, this is a little bit of a longer one, even though I did abbreviate it. And mind you, I'll be reading this word for word. Uh, this is called The Real Reason Luke Didn't Kill Ben Solo from user SuperVinyl on Reddit. <clears throat> As anyone who has seen Revenge of the Sith knows, Skywalkers have a tendency to kill a bunch of younger Jedis in training. In fact, this is why the existence of Luke and Leia was hidden from Darth Vader, because he would have tried to kill them if they ever started training to be Jedis, as evidenced by Vader's multiple attempts to kill Luke in the original trilogy. (laughs) This obviously didn't work, the reason being that Akinian had legally changed his last name to Vader. It stands I think to reason they mean Anakin. It stands to reason that if he had kept the last name Skywalker, he would have succeeded. Now, I know what you're going to say. Hey, super, didn't the Emperor change Anakin's last name before he <laughs> killed a bunch of Jedi kids? Aha! You really question whether I didn't think this all out, huh? Well, here's how we know that didn't happen. When I got married, the bureaucratic, bureaucratic process to change my wife's last name took literal weeks. <laughs> Yet only moments after Plaps claims that Anian's last name is new last name is Vader, we see him kill all those kids off screen. There's no way the paperwork to change Akinin's name had been processed by that time. Still not persuasive enough for you? Then let me hammer the last nail in the coffin of your doubt and draw your attention to one little detail by way of a question. When Akianikin arrives at a place to kill all those kids, what did that one fat kid call him? <laughs> did he call him Master Vader? No, he called him Master Skywalker. Clearly, the bureaucratic process had not finalized yet, and that's why all those little kids couldn't overpower a grown war veteran. <laughs> In the sequel trilogy, we're told that Ben teamed up with a bunch of his Knights of Ren buddies and killed all the other trainer Jedis, but something just doesn't add up. For one thing, we never explicitly see these supposed Knights of Ren characters in the films, and if we do, they certainly don't look like Ben's buddies. So for the sake of argument, I'm going to argue that there never were any Knights of Ren. That was just Disney pretending. Now I know what you're (laughs) going to say. Hey, super. But then who killed all those other training Jedis? I think you already know who. 
and I'll hammer the last nail in the coffin of your doubt and draw your attention to one little detail by way of a question. Who still went by the last name Skywalker at the time? Hint. It wasn't Ben. That's right. Ben's last name was Solo, and then he changed it to Ren for some reason. Leia's last name wasn't Skywalker. It was Orgasma, so it couldn't have been her. <laughs> he he, been her. No, I think we all know who it was. Luke. Luke killed all those Jedi kids in training. And I think the evidence I've laid out is pretty incontrovertible, irrefutable, and undeniable, and incontestable. But I know what you're going to say. Hey, super. But why didn't Luke kill his nephew Ben? Well... Let me just hammer the last nail in the coffin of your doubt and draw your attention to one little detail by way of a question. Of all the thousands of Jedi kids in training that were killed by Skywalkers that I've listed so far, how many of them were somebody's nephew? Case closed. Too long didn't read. Luke didn't kill Ben Solo. And that's <laughs> it. So basically, to summarize all of that, not um. The basic point is is that if your last name is Skywalker, you kill young Jedis. Um, younglings. Yes, younglings. Um, I must point out the highlighted comment from Shiny Xazbzal. Uh The amount of ways Anakin was spelled in this is too amusing, basically meaning it was hard to stop reading, and I'm 100% on, uh, sold on this. <laughs> I didn't know you were doing a bit, slash he was doing a bit with all the different <laughs> Anakin, Ankin, Ankane. Who knows? Maybe he wasn't. Ankinian. I mean, and some of those names were, well, and then, <laughs> yet only moments after Plaps. Yeah, Plaps. Instead, <laughs> instead of. So he definitely adds. Dear listeners, wait, dear listeners, what? Plaps is referring to, if you didn't understand, was Emperor Palpatine. But <laughs> Plaps. Yes, Plaps. That's what I'm going to call him now. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so, um, if you strip away all the flavor of uh, the um, the results of someone being high or something, um, bottom line is and it, uh Luke, basically, he's saying that Luke killed all of the the younglings that we we're led to believe that the Knights of Ren killed, but he didn't kill Ben Solo because it was his nephew. And, of course, he lays the, the proof because Vader or um, what's his name before Vader? Anakin. Anakin, yeah. Anakin. Um, Anakin. Anakin. Ankenian. <laughs> <laughs> Killed a bunch of kids while his last name was still Skywalker. Skywalker. So, um, I didn't think that kid was that fat. I that's what I was about to say. I don't remember a fat kid, but <laughs> he was a kid. Yeah, he just had like the ah. the kid fat. One yeah. thing I want to ask y'all that one thing I think is a really good point is his talk about the Knights of Ren. It was never really explored much, right? We saw him like kind of like a little bit of a flashback or like the like the Force vision mm -hmm. in The Force Awakens, but it's never really like explored that much or did I just miss it? No, it's really not. So basically what happened was they uh, Kathleen Kennedy and all of her genius, she 
decided that at first she was going to hire J.J. Abrams to do a full trilogy, sequel trilogy for them. And then she also decided she didn't want him to do any more after Force Awakens. He was just going to be a producer. And she brought in Ryan Johnson, who had his own vision, which was terrible. And he changed all of the canon in his movie and made everything not make any more sense anymore. And then they realized after all the fan uh, backlash from that movie that they made a bad choice. So they brought J.J. Abrams back, even though originally it was supposed to be Colin Trevorrow, who's the director of the Jurassic World movies. So when it all comes down to it is Kathleen Kennedy made some horrible decisions and the canon was just screwed up by like five different visions because she also had her own visions in, in this trilogy so nothing is going to make sense is 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 miss kennedy and all related to the lady in in charge of sony <laughs> she, she's probably a cousin or something it would make sense I mean, I mean the way they've bungled the spider-man movies sounds on par yeah <laughs> goodness wow yeah this this took us in a whole different direction this, I think um, it's about time for uh, that. By the way, sorry, Michael, let's give you your due. Thank you for all of your knowledge to help <laughs> steer these conversations. I, I don't, I do feel like some of my brain cells died mm-hmm. while that theory was being read. Okay, so, so I, I knew that was going to happen. So I have some structured points to discuss. Okay. The validity of this theory. Lay them on us. The first one is... From being his name changed from Skywalker to Vader, is there actually a need for a legal process to change the name? No. Not in the Star Wars universe. Okay. Especially if you're on the dark side of the Force. I mean, I know there's a Jedi temple, and that's... If you were doing that with on the other side of the Force, you might have to do some kind of paperwork (laughs) with the Jedi temple, but I don't don't know about the dark side. I don't think there's any sort of like registration system for the government in Star Wars because, I mean, see, it's a whole galaxy of different planets with all kinds of different races and everything. It would be a bureaucratical nightmare to try and keep track of everyone. So I don't think that they even mess with it personally. Especially when you're working with technology from 1976. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So um, <laughs> would it take weeks? Like, Laura, how long did it take for you to change your name? That was... So long ago. I don't... We'll just say two days. I I mean, I remember going to the Social Security office. I, I, I just remember going to the Social Security office. It may have been like a week or two just to get my forms, re- like, like my official paperwork of, yay, it's done. Oh, I, okay. I, well, maybe. It wasn't hard, though. Okay. Well, maybe the kid never got the memo, even if like, hey, everybody, let's call him Vader. Maybe it was all the force's fault. The force yeah. should have told him. <laughs> In the movie, like Palpatine dubs him Darth Vader, and then he immediately goes back to the Jedi Temple and kills mm-hmm. everybody. So, yeah. like that's within like thirty minutes of each other. So there's no way that anybody in the temple really would have known, mm-hmm. unless the Force told him. Exactly. I so know. Is... I wonder if it was the midi chlorians messed it all up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We are talking prequels. Yes. And we've got so to involve it, that. Do you think there's anything to this idea that Skywalkers kill younglings only because their name's Skywalker? Well, it leaves a big gaping question for the end of whatever that horrible last movie was because 
Ray is Skywalker. the last name Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. So she's basically just dubbing herself a child killer, if that's the yeah. case. Well, yeah. like, if, if you think of it this way, though, like, if Luke is, let's just say he did kill all of those younglings training at his academy or whatever, that would be a good motivation for go be a hermit. You know, he feels shame. What have I done? And True. Why didn't he kill Ray? Exactly. Ray? Or was she, she too, technically too old? Yeah. She wasn't a youngling. Oh, she was too old by that point? Yeah. You're saying? Oh, okay. She was a grown-up. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I saw those movies once in the theater, and that was mm. it. So I don't mm. remember much. Okay. Well, that's about all I got. <laughs> okay. Anybody well, have any I... genius accompanying thoughts? I doubt it with this no. one. All right, I'm 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 curious. I'm going to go straight to Michael. Michael, how do you rate this theory? I'm going to land this at preposterous. <laughs> we got our first preposterous. Yay. I just, <laughs> I just feel dumber <laughs> listening to this guy talk. When, wait, if we're going to talk about Leia or Gasma. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Michael. I'm there with you. This is absolutely preposterous. Yes, I agree. It is. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Monsters are as old as humanity itself. Monsters embody our fears. Yet, they help us define the boundaries of what it means to be human. We know most monsters aren't real. Yet, we can use monsters to learn about reality. Psychology, biology, folklore, literature, critical thinking. We're on a journey to learn about the world through the lens of monsters. And we hope you'll come along with us. Subscribe at monstertalk.org. Very preposterous. There's nothing to this. There's not enough evidence, history, to support the theory that Skywalkers are predispositioned to kill younglings. But it was a fun time. It was yes. Fun. It was a ride. It was a fun sure. time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next. I think it's time for us to cut the whole Star Wars theory talk short. Maybe let's move on to some just regular fan theories. Sounds good. Cool. Spencer, do you have uh, another one for us? Yes. Um, my next theory comes from The Office, for the show The Office, found on Reddit by user Athena Nike Forest. It's a cool name. Yep. And the title of this theory is Why Michael Hates Toby. So Athena says... From the very beginning of the show, 
Toby seems like a decent, quiet, friendly guy. He's a little sad, and his crush on Pam sometimes gets weird, but overall, he's one of the nicer people at Dunder Mifflin. Yet, Michael hates him. Sure, he says it's because Toby's from HR, but if we look at all the stuff Michael gets away with, it's clear that Toby isn't ever coming down on him as hard as he could. As the corporate HR rep, Toby could have gotten Michael fired literally dozens of times. My theory is that Michael's parents divorced when he was young, and he now channels his anger and feelings of abandonment towards Toby, who was a divorced father. Michael has no sense of subtlety or nuance, and so doesn't see that Toby is, far, is a far better father and human being than his own dad. Too long didn't read. Michael hates Toby because he reminds Michael of his own father. So what do y'all think? I don't remember ever hearing Michael talk about his dad. It's always about his mom and his stepdad, and that's who he didn't like. I think it was just kind of implied. Well, it was implied that he didn't like his stepdad or his real dad. Because we definitely don't hear much about his his dad, his biological dad. Yeah. I do feel like, Laura, I think I do feel like there was some mention of him not liking his stepfather. Oh, yeah. He yeah, he didn't. I mean, just the way he said his name. Mm-hmm. I, I remember it. I, wasn't it like. Dan or Steve. I mean, like, he just says it with such disdain. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yes, he didn't like his stepdad. But the thing is, Toby isn't a stepdad. He is the father. Yeah. And, like, so Jeff. that's what I'm trying to say of Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say is that Toby would be the divorced father. And that would be the person that Michael didn't have the connection with. And so, like... If anything, I would think he would feel like an abandonment and then like want to connect. Whereas this is saying he hates him because it reminds him of his own father. I, I don't know. It's a little confusing. I mean, he's saying that, okay, my dad left me. He abandoned mm-hmm. me. And instead of feeling this need to connect with somebody, which, I mean, he does have this obsession with finding a lover or he wants friends to like him and being a father he wants to be a father yeah but as far as like finding a father figure i don't know maybe he just attributes a lot of his weirdness to the fact that his dad left him and so he has these bad feelings i get what you're saying i'm just i'm saying we never hear that mentioned in that mm-hmm. in the show. All yeah. we hear is hate for his mom and stepdad Jeff. Mm-hmm. Never anything about his dad. So let's let's talk about some th- things though. Do you just your overall impression of Toby? Do you agree with that first sentence that says he's a decent, quiet, friendly guy? Other than the weirdness of like his crush on Pam, do you think he's you know a relatively stand up guy? Yes, he tries to teach everybody in the office self-defense at one point. Um, He's also the person, he's very knowledgeable about like the different kinds of testing you need to do in a a building like that as far as like testing for asbestos and Mm. everything in the walls and in the air. Like he really knows this stuff. And so I think he's a smart guy. I could say I think that Michael just doesn't like Toby because 
everybody else in the office, even if they're trying to not be out there and be bombastic like Michael and Dwight, they all have a definite personality. And Toby doesn't. And I think that's what Michael doesn't like about Toby, personally, in my own canon. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I I would say he's probably a nice guy. He's just so incredibly socially awkward. Like, his social skills are just so terrible. that That's probably why his wife left him. And that's why he has such a hard time, like making friends with people and he's he's trying like give him credit he's trying with all the things that you said that he did but he just doesn't know how to do it the right way and i think that he just makes michael so uncomfortable that there's just this subliminal hatred that like bubbles up in michael and Mm. sees him as just insufferable and i can kind of see it you know like like I, i i feel for the guy i feel bad and he's honestly, Toby's probably a glutton for punishment as well. I, I see him as that kind of guy. Like he, he enjoys, doesn't really enjoy, but he is the first to like put himself down, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's why he doesn't push on a lot of these things. And that's probably why he doesn't get rid of Michael like he could, because he just, he's like, you know what? I probably deserve it. You know, he just seems like that kind of guy to me. I was just going to say, like, the 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 reason we're given is essentially is like, okay, Toby's from HR, so he has all these rules and makes Michael's follow, follow these rules. But if you really think about it, like, I've never hated anybody from HR, and I've never known anybody that's had real issues with someone from HR. And we also, like you said, Michael, he, like, lets Michael get away with a lot. Like, I think that his... Michael Scott's hate for Toby is way deeper than him just being a guy who ruins his fun. Yeah. Like there's something else there. I wonder, because the post Athena says something about, he says it's because Toby is from HR. And we know that Michael has worked at Dunder Mifflin for a very long time. And I doubt with the ages of, or like what I imagine and see Michael and Toby's ages as being, Toby hasn't been Michael's HR person the whole time. Could there have been a horrible, horrible person in HR before Michael or before Toby when Michael was a salesman with Todd Packer, you know, out there on the floor that, I don't know, maybe this person ruined the fun that Michael and Todd Packer tried to have together. And that's what put the bad taste in Michael's mouth so that when Toby came in, he had no chance. It was just mm-hmm. automatically, oh, you work at HR, you suck. <laughs> or a joke and he says, get out. <laughs> if we follow with the one random fan theory that I've heard before that Toby was actually the Scranton Strangler, mm-hmm. it could mean that Michael is actually a genius who knows how to read people and he knows that there's something off about Toby. He just does not like him, but he can't put his finger on it. Hmm. He has and a good so he just, intuition and gut. Yeah, yeah. I have something that kind of goes against this, but supports what you're saying, Laura, is that when Holly shows up, he just assumes she's going to be a horrible person because she's from HR. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely am not necessarily in the camp of him being the Scranton Strangler because I'm pretty sure it was disproved at one point. 
but I just know that that's something that was thrown out there by somebody. And I think it's kind of funny. Why are you the way you are? <laughs> I hate everything about you. So what is it about him that if he was in a room with Hitler and Toby and was it Saddam? Yeah. Yes. He'd shoot Toby twice? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a good question, and I mean, this is an interesting. You know, maybe maybe Toby looked or sounded or acted like his dad. I don't know. And then like he just has this mm. built in, like he just attaches the hate to Toby, which also attaches it to the H H R role, and so that kind of bleeds over when Holly comes in. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Or it could just be a joke that was written by the writers of the show that was hilarious, and so they kept writing it in. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Oh, but we do have a highlighted comment that's going to maybe add to this. Okay. This is from Pope Boho the Eighth. I'll take the thought uh, for I think that's Pope Boho the Thirteenth. Oh, that is a ten. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Pope Boho the Thirteenth. I'll take the thought further and say Michael hates Toby even more because he's attempting to be a good father. If Michael lives mm. with the thought, once you get divorced, you can no longer be a part of your kid's life, then when Toby clearly still loves and spends time with his daughter, Michael realizes that his father actually abandoned him. This could also drive the thought that he was the reason his father left. And as everyone knows, Michael has a need to be liked, especially by his superiors. This could be seen as a reminder of a big failure of not being able to get his father to like him. And then someone responds to that, Josh Kim 7, good point. There's an episode in season five or six, I think, of Toby playing Connect Four and card games with Michael in order to get him to talk to him about his feelings and anger. And it works. Michael is clearly, inside, still a kid who desperately seeks the approval of someone. A father would have helped. Aww. So there's some deep stuff there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, do you have anything else to bring up? No, I think no, that's sufficient. I, I, yeah, All right, Laura. Rate it. What are you thinking? I'm going to go unlikely on this. I just, I can't go preposterous. It didn't make my brain leak out my ears like the <laughs> Star Wars post we listened to before. But I, I don't agree with it about it being at all connected to Michael's father. Yes, I understand Michael hates Toby. And yes, he harbors a lot of issues regarding his parents' divorce and his subsequent childhood affected by that. However, I don't see a correlation to Toby. I think that's a different thing on its own. Okay. That's that's a good good summary. What about you, Michael? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Laura on this one. I, I was firmly said it unlikely, but that last little bit of evidence that you uh, read from that comment made me lean a little bit more towards plausible, but not enough to pull away from unlikely. I, I still think it's just probably not likely that this is true. You know, I'm going to just stay there. I'm going to say that it's plausible. I think that obviously it could just be a joke that the writers wrote in there. But if we're going to give it an in-show reason for it, it, there could very likely be several things working together to make me maybe there's something that Toby did that made him jealous. Like he told a funny joke, you know, but I think it's plausible. That there's something like this that has, has something to do with it. So 
that was why Toby hates Michael. I mean, we all know why Toby hates Michael. Why Michael hates Toby. <laughs> all right, who's up next? I can go. Okay. This next one is from Reddit user ZPanda66. And their theory is that Red Notice is an unofficial spinoff for the Fast and Furious character Luke Hobbs. This one's a little bit long, so just bear with me. So the evidence. The film was produced by The Rock's Seven Bucks production company for Netflix, the same company that he also that also produced Hobbs and Shaw for Universal. After The Rock realized he wouldn't be getting a Hobbs and Shaw sequel anytime soon due to his dispute with Vin Diesel, he decides to go off and make his own action film inspired by his Fast and Furious character with Netflix. Note, this is all speculation on my part. So in Red Notice, The Rock plays an FBI agent named John Hartley, who is tasked to hunt down Ryan Reynolds' character, Nolan Booth, after he steals one of Cleopatra's three bejeweled eggs. Now, you might say, but in Fast Five, it's established that Hobbs is an agent for the DSS, or Diplomatic Security Service. That is true, but it could be that Red Notice is set before the events of Fast Five and even Hobbs and Shaw. In this theory, Hobbs graduates to the DSS after he was an FBI agent. The end of Red Notice also explains why Ryan Reynolds' character would be working for the CIA and Hobbs and Shaw under a pseudonym Locke. Because after the events of Red Notice, and presumably the events of its upcoming sequels, he's hired by the CIA as an asset, presumably through his connection of John Hartley, a.k.a. Hobbs. Hobbs sees sees that he has potential as a CIA asset. Both John Hartley and Nolan Booth are pseudonyms. Uh, so we, we've got the evidence that The Rock and Reynolds could, in theory, be playing their respective characters from Hobbs and Shaw just under different names. But what about Gal Gadot's Red Notice character, Sarah Black slash The Bishop? Sorry for spoilers. It's revealed at the end of Red Notice that she was working with Nolan Booth the whole time. I would think that it's likely after the events of Fast and Furious from 2009, the fourth Fast and Furious movie for those who are keeping track, Giselle likely goes undercover briefly under a pseudonym and gives herself the name Sarah Black, a.k.a. The Bishop. If you consider Red Notice takes place before Fast and Furious 2009 and Fast Five, then it does at least fit in with Giselle's timeline. We'll need to see what happens in the Red Notice sequels to see if anything contradicts this theory further, but curious to, to know what you all think. So, it's a lot to unpack. Spencer, do you want to go first before I start? I do. I've seen the first Fast and Furious, and I have not seen Red Notice. So, I don't know what I can say. But so it sounds creative. Sorry for spoilers. I would recommend <laughs> watching Red Notice. It's really good. Sarah Black slash The Bishop slash Wonder Woman. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so I, I'll go ahead and go into kind of my thing since this was the theory that I chose. I like this idea because I like both of those movies. I know everybody has their own thoughts about the Fast and Furious franchise. I I love them not because they're necessarily like the best. It's just a fun movie series for me. And so I've stuck with them through the whole thing. But yeah, like the, the characters that both The Rock and Ryan Reynolds play in uh, Hobbs and Shaw are very similar to the ones that they play in Red Notice with a few little exceptions here and there, but it could just be the change of their roles in, in each one. And it's plausible for me that Gal Gadot's character, Giselle, 
in the Fast and Furious franchise could become her character in Red Notice because they have a very similar skill set as well. Both thieves and and she's very handy with weaponry and capable of defending herself. What were you going to say, Spencer? So she's in Fast and Furious movies? Mm -hmm. Yep. She comes in, I believe, in the fourth one. And she sticks around, I think, for the next two. So I think through six. Is Ryan Reynolds in a Fast and Furious movie? He's in the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff of the Fast and Furious movies. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. He's only in there briefly, but he's in there. And it was actually kind of fun when he showed up because nobody knew he was going to be in that movie. And he just mm. randomly shows up in one scene and just kind of blew everybody's minds, or at least mine and when I was in the theater. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. I think the connections are there. I mean, the skill sets are very similar. I don't think anybody really cares about the continuity and actual facts of these two movies. So I don't think it's a big deal for us to make this connection here. But I like it. I think it's fun. Laura, what do you think? Um, So I've not seen any of these movies either. However, I know little bits about them. I will say I can totally, I think it would be plausible and it would work just fine for them to be prequel or like that they would fit in in the middle of Fast and Furious because those three lead actors have like made some kind of pact with the devil that they look exactly the same as they did maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Yep. And they all still look absolutely gorgeous, all three of them. Yep. So it totally works that they can totally step back in time and everything. Yeah, sure. That's exactly what happened. Yes, we believe it. It it fits. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't know exactly how the timeline would match up with, with the two franchises or whatever, but I'm sure there's a way that it could be connected. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't really think there's much more to this than, than what we've already talked about and what was explained. So um, unless you guys have anything to add, I'm ready to rate. I guess the argument would be that this is just another action thriller and they're all the same. So that's why they might seem similar. Yeah. I, here's a question for you. Yeah. Um, could you also cross in what was it the when Ryan Reynolds plays Samuel L. Jackson's bodyguard? Oh, the Hitman's Free bodyguard. Oh. Yes, and then like Salma Hayek also comes in there. Yeah. Can that be folded into? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think I think all of Ryan Reynolds' characters and all of his movies are somehow connected in the same universe. You know, and Green Lantern. Yeah. Unfortunately. Oh Lord. <laughs> and Free Guy. Dan Wilder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh cool. Gosh. Okay. You guys ready to rate? Sure. Mm-hmm. All right, Spencer, you kick us off. Well, let me ask you this: mm-hmm. Was the dispute with Vin Diesel? Some people were saying that that was just a stunt, like for publicity. What do you think? Oh, you did. You mean between The Rock and yeah. Vin Diesel? My personal thoughts. I mean, I could see it as both both sides of the argument. Mm-hmm. I, when it first started happening, I honestly thought it was a publicity stunt and just to like drum up more uh, conversations about the movies, which I don't know why they would need to, because people are going to watch these movies regardless. You know, mm-hmm. if you're, if you've watched all the movies up to this point, you're going to watch whatever they put out, you know, it's mm-hmm. just kind of a given, but yeah, I, I could see it as either a big publicity stunt and the rock's going to show up and he's been actually secretly filming with them this whole time in the mm. the 10th one i think it's fast x or something like that now yeah go ahead i just say that like that determines what my rating is like if this is legit and it 
kills his chances of getting one of these sequels, then this is absolutely, you know, genius that this is an unofficial uh, sequel or spinoff, whatever you want to call it. But if that wasn't a legit dispute and it's just publicity stuff, and he does come later, maybe not so uh, certain after all, and if you be more plausible. Yeah, if you asked me to make a decision on which way I think it is just right mm. now, I would lean a little more towards it may actually be a real dispute, just with the personalities of Vin Diesel and The Rock. They have very okay. strong personalities. And very, They're both very opinionated. I could see them having issues. Yeah, so well, could... we'll lean towards that. Rock, The Rock is like a get-it-done kind of guy, mm-hmm. and he's going to make something happen even if he's told he can't. So I, I totally give him the credit of like saying i want this even though i can't make it happen mm-hmm. uh, le- in a legitimate way i'll just do it under the radar the way that i want to do it so i guess I'll, it's all genius say genius awesome laura i am surprised at <laughs> that genius level i'll say it's plausible i it just sounds like somebody really when you think of that idea of people connecting dots with red string somebody is really stretching that (laughs) string really hard to make it fit in my opinion (laughs) so plausible cool i'm i'm definitely plausible on this like i love the idea of it i think it's i think it's great just because i like both of these like i said but in the end does it really matter Just well, any of it. Yeah. Um, I'll let you guys know what he says after I have my meeting with The Rock on Wednesday. <laughs> okay, oh, thank you. Thanks. You Appreciate it. <laughs> cool. Well, I guess we're ready to move on to the next theory. Yeah. What do you say, guys? Yep. Uh, I'm ready. Okay. Well, this is the one that you've all been waiting for since our last episode. <laughs> Was Arnold's room originally used by his grandparents to grow pot? <laughs> oh, man. I keep getting the used <laughs> crazy used <laughs> Sound it out. Username. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I can't wait to hear this. Crying. Okay. (laughs) Why do I get these usernames? (laughs) Okay. Fan art. Alt man (laughs) fart song. That's that was good. I, that's how I read it. Okay, a little bit closer together, but fan art, alt man, fart salt. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, I might need a minute. Okay, we're good. Okay, all right. While the boarding house was originally so this is one from by hey Arnold, Arnold, right? Oh yeah, this is from mm. the Nickelodeon cartoon Hey Arnold from. Yeah, from the 90s that, like, this is what I grew up watching. Spencer, were you, did you ever watch Hey Arnold? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you did? Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Michael? I honestly didn't. I was at the right age when it came out, but Mm -hmm. I just never really got into that show. I had other shows I liked better. Okay, gotcha. All right, so, while the boarding house was originally won by Arnold's grandfather in a card game, Upkeep over the years would have been somewhat expensive, especially given the running joke of it being apparently filled with strange animals literally every time the front door is opened. (laughs) 
That is a very fun detail. <laughs> so they've got some bullet points here written out in their theory. Arnold's family is poor, yet there are a few other strange things about the house. Grandpa has a private bathroom, which is pretty nice, which I will just, well, no, I'll save this till the end. I'll save my little comment till the end. Okay. Um, one of the floors has been converted entirely into a penthouse suite. Arnold's room has a massive skylight installed, which according to high angle shots seems to be very rare for the area. Arnold's room is extremely modernized, far above the family's supposed standard of, li standard of living. This theory is a simple one. Before Arnold was born, his room was at some point converted to grow weed, hence the skylight. <laughs> the money was used on upkeep slash to make the additions touched on above with a bit left over to put into savings. While it's fair to note that his grandparents never mentioned any of this to him, his grandfather especially is shown to frequently be pretty untrustworthy and not above some shady doings to turn a buck. The attic grow room was then converted, converted to a bedroom with the modern additions made by using the savings stashed away during the time selling weed. For their flaws, Arnold's grands are shown to love him very much and treat him when and treat him when they're able. The show starts shortly after this money has dried out, hence the inconsistencies between their poverty and some details regarding their standard of living. Okay, real quick, I will say, just to throw in there about Arnold's grandpa having a private bathroom. This is notable. They so they have a boarding house in New York. I, I can't remember if they live in the Bronx or Queens, but I lived in a boarding house for a little bit. When I was in college, I would spend my summers in Canyon, Texas. That's Yeehaw. near Amarillo. <laughs> <laughs> That's near the city of Amarillo. And I, I did outdoor musical theater there as just a summer job. So traveling up to Canyon for the summer, I would live in a boarding house and you did not have ensuite bathrooms. Like you, there were just all these bedrooms up on this, on the second floor that I lived on. And there was one bathroom that we all had to share. So, uh, typical boarding house. That's what would be going on in this house, which we see for Arnold. Arnold has to share the bathroom, but grandpa has his own private bathroom so that's pretty it's pretty sweet is what they're saying but, and one of the floors has been and converted to a penthouse suite which is really nice and modern anyway what were you saying spencer i was gonna say if you were in the building and it had a private bathroom wouldn't you have a have the private bathroom oh most definitely the lady that owned the house lived there mm -hmm. and yes she had she her had own private, private bathroom. bathroom yeah <laughs> But, I mean, this is in a small town in the Panhandle of Texas. I mean, these tenement houses, that wouldn't be as common. It would be a lot like a like a dorm building. I mean, okay. one one bathroom on the hall, you know, like that would be pretty common. So, Got it. yeah, I, I do remember that skylight. I always noticed that skylight in Arnold's room. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some pots of plants growing in the skylight there yeah. uh, above his bed. But yeah, as soon as I saw the, I, I mean, that wasn't anything I ever thought about. I mean, I watched <laughs> Hey Arnold when yeah. I was very young before I ever knew anything about Mary Jane and <laughs> stuff like that. I didn't know about those things when I was watching Harry Arnold. So it wasn't anything in my, early, in my later life that I, I connected those dots until i saw this theory and i went oh, my childhood 
What have you done, fan art, alt man, fart salt? You've, ru- you've ruined it. <laughs> anyway, so I'll open the floor to any kind of comments anyone has. So one of the points and observations is that Arnold's room is extremely modernized, far above the family's supposed standard of living. And it seemed to me, and maybe, Laura, you can tell me, did it seem like more high tech than at the time? Like more so than like me looking at it like that is a really cool room. I'd love to have something like that. How would you even go about getting such a tech, you know, incorporated room, you know? Yeah. His room was awesome. All kinds of like motorized things moving around. No, not necessarily that of just yeah, it's it's hard to remember and I tried watching some episodes just like on YouTube, but before we recorded just so that I could try to remember. But I do remember like he had a nice computer and I can't remember if he had his own phone line in there or not, but I feel like he did. But I just remember, yes, his room was super nice and cool. And then like other places around them weren't that great looking and like mm-hmm. wallpaper peeling and stuff like that and water stains and the, on the ceiling and yeah. Yeah, but like, that's oh, that's what this is. The thing what I'm thinking of, he's got that futon or couch that like flips up. It's like a Murphy bed. Yeah, and yeah, it's like motorized. Style. I don't know, it just seemed like I'm looking at pictures of it right now. And then one other, one other thing. Oh, the grandfather is shown to be frequently and pretty untrustworthy. Not only that, but the grandmother is an absolute certified nut. Oh, which yeah. Which would be a side effect of smoking pot a long time. Maybe. I wouldn't know. I could definitely see them having been hippies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can definitely see that. Uh, and she has is just still gone into that time period of her life. She's still there being a hippie. Whereas Grandpa has come back down to earth. And I don't see him as being shady so much as he he can. He know he's in creative. Maybe he's creative. Mm. Let's yeah. say that of... How he, how he makes things happen. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to think of Grandpa as being like a bad guy. No. I mean, he really does. They do love Arnold so Absolutely. much in that show. If you look up things about that show, I mean, there's so many heartfelt things about it. Lessons that it was trying to teach our generation of like being of acceptance of, of you know, be, being accepting of all different kinds of socioeconomic uh, status, any kind of religion, race, creed, of being accepting of all of that, uh, single parent backgrounds, nationalities, family structures of how mm-hmm. it's still a family and there's still love there. So we should be just as accepting. Like the, it is a beautiful, great show with great story to it. So I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe this was a secret little thing because maybe the writers were a smoking pot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think. The, the main point that supports it is just how different that how, that room is from the rest Definitely. of the boarding house. Yeah, I, and I do agree with that. And that's what, if I'm going to use that to segue mm-hmm. into my rating. Okay. Is that okay with y'all? Were there any other well, points? Michael, did you have anything to add? I, I don't really have any skin in this game for this one because, like I said, I, I never really watched it. I think I maybe saw two episodes and. 
there just wasn't enough action in it for me at that age. Like I wanted something with more action. Like I was watching Transformers, the animated series <laughs> at that time. So I didn't really, really get into it. But the only thing I was going to say is like, if we go off of the hippie theory that they were hippies, hippies didn't just smoke pot. Like they did a lot harder Ooh, stuff. No, so that could explain possibly why the grandparents were as weird as they were. I don't know. That's just all I was going to say. <laughs> a good point that's a very good point they could have done some much harder stuff maybe some lsd yeah magic mushrooms who knows (laughs) yeah so i was gonna propel myself off of that to into my rating of this and and i think it's plausible i'm not gonna go genius level but definitely just the fact that you know the way that cartoons are animated especially the these the special block of these nickelodeon Mm -hmm. cartoons there would be a great a shot of the skyline and you could see Arnold's skylight and there were none, nothing else around it. That was the only skylight. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I agree. There was something grown in there. It was definitely a greenhouse kind of room at one point Mm -hmm. in its inception. So um, yeah, I think it's plausible. Yeah. I think it's plausible as well, just for the same reasons that you said, it's gotta be, have built been built that way for some reason for a specific purpose. You know, if it was just a nice thing to have, you would think that buildings around in the area would you would see some here or there like, oh, I like I think that's nice. I'm gonna add that to my building. Or this architect over here designed these two buildings to look similar and there's none of that. So this was built for a specific purpose. And like you said, it's very similar looking to a greenhouse. And they would need some way to get the money to make it look nice. And what makes money? Pot. Yeah. As we all know. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, with no knowledge, really, of the show, I'm basing this just off of the evidence that was provided by the theory and by you guys. I'm going to go with plausible as well. Just kind of ride the coattails there. I mean, it sounds plausible to me. I mean, it sounds like it's something that could possibly happen. And... The and during the eighties and nineties, uh, that was a time where a lot of animators and cartoons and stuff had hidden things in their shows and movies that were more adult in nature that it would have gone right over the kids' heads. So I mean, it's plausible that these guys were like, "Hey, let's make the grandparents potheads," and these kids won't get it, but it'll be a funny inside joke for us. So yeah, plausible is my rating. Cool, great. Laura, I have a surprise for you. For me? Yes, I included a bonus fun Star Wars theory. Ooh. Into awesome. our show notes Let's hear it. That I want you to read. Me? Yes. That's okay. why it's for you. <laughs> okay. All right. So I see here. Uh, bonus fun Star Wars theory. Star Wars proves George Lucas is afraid of worms. <laughs> this comes from user All the Grievous. <laughs> All right. (laughs) Thank you. That was much easier to read. Uh, In movies three through six, there are quite a few giant worm monsters. In A New Hope, we have the Dianoga. Is that right? Sounds right. Yeah. I I don't remember it being pronounced. Dianoga, the trash compactor monster. In Empire, we have the Exogarth that actually had an ecosystem, including the Millennium Falcon, in its digestive tract. And in Return of the Jedi, not only is there the Sarlacc, 
Jabba is a giant slug, which is a grosser worm. <laughs> Lucas is scared. Lucas is scared of worms and probably snakes. <laughs> and that's the theory from all the Grievous. <laughs> My favorite comment from Stone Cold X is, nah, it's just Star Wars proves George Lucas read Dune. <laughs> I agree. Yep. Or, yep. And then Tim Burton saw those and made Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we don't have to discuss it. I just thought it was a funny one to yeah. put in. That's a good, that's a fun theory. Yes, I love it. All right, well, Laura. Spencer. Michael. Guys. It's time to bring this episode to a close, but before we do, I want to leave you with a fascinating movie detail from, what is this guy's, Sadmurai. So Samurai, but Sadmurai. Uh, Thank it. you. Yes. From the movie Dazed and Confused. So this is truly fascinating. Dazed and Confused is a movie that could never be made in this day and age. This is because it has already been made and that would be considered plagiarism. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> oh, wow. <sighs> Thanks for that, Sad Mariah. Yes. Thank you. Well, on that note, we hope that you can follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is Fan Theory Cues. And hey, share us with your family and friends. Yeah, to like that. Yeah. Well, this has been Fan Theory Queries. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. Join us next time for another batch of genius, plausible, unlikely, and preposterous. Band theories.